Well, good morning. It is good to see you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to uh, Acts chapter 15. This morning we will finish up 15 and, and start 16. And so uh, if you uh, will flip there, that'd be awesome. And a couple of announcements. If you're a guest with us, uh, you should have uh, gotten one of these when you walked in. If you didn't, there's still some more in the back. It's just some uh, information going on at the church and uh, and then on the bottom, there's a little I'm new here section. You can fill that out and uh, drop it in the offering box uh, in the back, or you can scan that QR code that's on there, and you can sign or fill out a digital form there. Uh, a couple other announcements. Uh, as I said last week, uh, it's not too late to sign up for small groups. And so if you haven't have yet, have yet to join a small group and you're interested in those, uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer that you can sign and that you're interested in, leave a contact, uh, and we'll reach out to you, or you can do sign that QR code and go online, and uh, there's a form there or an option there for starting point as well. The last announcement that I have is that uh, actually two more. Uh, next Sunday, uh, we're having our starting point uh, class. So this is kind of our pathway to membership. It's where maybe you've uh, been hanging out with us for a while and you're interested uh, in joining or you just want to know more information. Or maybe you've been a member for a long time and you just want to kind of go revisit who we are. Uh, and so that's what the starting point class is for. Uh, so you can sign up online using that QR code there. That's next Sunday at 5 uh, p.m. And so if uh, we'll have child care provided uh, if you uh, would, would uh, be interested in that. Lastly, we have vol- we need some help in our children's ministry on Sunday mornings, uh, and so if you have not volunteered there or uh, you're waiting on somebody to come personally ask you to, I'm doing that now. I'm inviting you to come help uh, there. Uh, there's, a, there's a sheet in the foyer on one of the tables that just kind of shows where all the places we need help. Uh, and so if you can go uh, and look at that, talk to Carrie or Nicole, and they'll get you plugged in somewhere. Uh, this morning, Luke is in Dry Creek, uh, Louisiana, wherever that is. And then he's, uh, but tonight he's preaching at a C at the Pole Rally uh, this evening uh, there. And then on Wednesday, he'll be at Willow Grove Baptist Church and Seminary uh, preaching a revival service. So anyway, we'll be praying for Luke as he preaches tonight and this Wednesday uh, in seminary. If you remember last week, uh, where we got to Acts chapter 15, we came. Uh, we spent three weeks in 15 whenever they uh, were dealing with the issue at hand of Judaizers going to the church at Antioch and uh, causing a riffle, uh, saying that in order for a Gentile to become a Christian, he had to become a Jew. Uh, and so the Jerusalem Council settled that. And I add, you don't add anything to the gospel. It's the gospel of grace. You don't add Jesus plus something. Uh, and so they came to that agreement. Last week, we looked at they sent that letter to the church at Antioch. Uh, and uh, whenever it was read at the church at Antioch, they were greatly uh, blessed and they rejoiced to know that they were a part of the fellowship. Uh, and then when we ended last week, we looked at verse 35. It says, where Paul and Barnabas, they remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. One thing that we come to understand about the apostle Paul, he had a hard time staying still. Uh, and so even though we ended last week and he wanted to hang out with Antioch, when we pick up this morning in verse 36, he's like, Barnabas, it's time to hit the road again. And so let's start reading in verse uh, 36 of chapter 15. It says this, and after some days, we don't know how many days, it could be a couple of months, uh, uh, the, the scripture doesn't explicitly say how long they stayed in Antioch, but after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. 
Man, just an awesome picture. Uh, so this is the beginning of the second missionary journey. And so what he tells Barnabas, hey, let's go back to the churches we've already established and let's check on them. And every time I think about the missionary journey, and God really spoke to me this week, it's going to be kind of the heart of the sermon, is that when I think about the missionary journeys, I'm only thinking about Paul going to new places. But a part of his evangelism strategy wasn't just to go make converts, but to build healthy churches, right? And so what he did to begin the second missionary journey, he went to the churches that he already established to, what did he say? To see how they are. Ultimately, uh, they were going to be Gentile churches. So probably one thing is he wanted to know if the Judaizers made it there yet. And so let's go check on them and let's see how they are. Now, everything's going good until we get to verse 37, and it says this. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with, take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia. If you remember, on the first missionary journey, they, they go to Cyprus, and then they finally make it to the mainland. They're about to cross the Taurus Mountains, and for some reason, Mark's like, I'm out. And so it's Paul and Barnabas who, who finished the journey, and Mark was a deserter, if you will. He, he quit. He uh, left them. So Paul said, it's, I don't think it's best to take him with us uh, because he left us at Pamphylia uh, in verse, 30, verse 39. And there rose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. Having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of, from, of the, by the brothers at Lystra. Sorry, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, but took him and circumcised him because of the Jews uh, who were in those places for all they knew that, that for all of them knew that his father was Greek. Time out. I thought we just settled that in Acts chapter 15. What's, what's going on here? He just said they don't have to be circumcised, and now we're taking Timothy, and the first thing he's doing with Timothy is he's circumcising him. So what's Paul doing? Is he going, does chapter 15 don't exist anymore? We're only a chapter later. Anyway, we'll talk about that and when we get there. As they went on, verse 4, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. We pray now as we are, turn our attention to it, God, that you, will, that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe. God, anoint, uh, anoint my words this morning. May you use them uh, to strengthen the saint and to call the sinner to yourself. God, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. So when we get to this text, Paul's ready to roll. He's ready to go. And the first thing I want you to see, I think the text breaks down in three. Uh, the first one is that there's a fully obeying the Great Commission. Now, don't you understand that when I get there. Secondly, Paul and Barnabas separate. Thirdly, Timothy joins uh, Paul and Silas. And that's the, the three breakdowns of the text. But number one, if you're taking notes, there we see that Paul, he's fully obeying the Great Commission. Notice it says, after some days, Paul and Barnabas said, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. 
When it comes to missions, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to the church, that's, the, the, the verse doesn't say a lot, but it says a whole lot. That Paul, this greatest missionary the world has ever seen, right? The, missionaries to the, to, the missionary to the Gentiles, the one that eventually what we'll see at the, in, in the next couple chapters is the one that got to Europe. The, thankfully, he did because it got to us, right? Like this guy, not only was he a guy who went and preached the gospel, but he fully understood the Great Commission was more than just going to make converts and people who make a decision, but to see these people raised up in maturity in the faith. And so he's fully, so how does he fully obeying the Great Commission? I'll remind you of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 to, 19 to 20, come on the screen. It says, go therefore, this is Jesus telling his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Awesome, right? And most of our minds, and I know me, me, me included here, when I think about the Great Commission, I think about going and preaching Jesus so that people believe in Jesus and they're baptized. That's the Great Commission for most in our minds. That is the Great Commission, but that is not the Great Commission in its entirety. What does he say? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Watch this. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The Great Commission is fully obeyed, fully fulfilled, not whenever we just get people to make decisions, but when we see people walking in maturity, obeying all that Christ had commanded. And so what Paul is doing here is, hey, we've established churches already in these areas. But we have to go back and see how they are. We have to go back and make sure they're still walking with the Lord. We have to go back and maybe clear, clean up some doctrinal issues, but to teach them, to spend time with them, because we want to see them ultimately grow in even more knowledge of their Savior. The most, I wrote like this, the most effective tool for evangelism, you ready? Is to make disciples who what? Make disciples. In our mind, when we think about missions, well, obviously we're praying for it as a church that, that, that God would move in the country of Chad. But the most effective form of evangelism is not just a citywide crusade, which those have places. But the most effective of, mo, tool of evangelism is we, that we make disciples who make disciples. And so Paul understood if he really wanted to turn Asia Minor upside down, it wasn't just going to preach to these random places, but to build churches here that fall in love with Jesus, that grow in their faith, that they in themselves begin to re reproduce themselves, that disciples become make disciples. Everybody with me? And so we see this, and then we, he, he makes it explicitly clear. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, it says, God, that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers, what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves uh, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Watch this. When it is working properly, the body grows so it builds itself up in love. What's the, what's the aim, what's the method, if you will, of building up the church? Obviously, we want the church to grow this way. How do we go this way as we grow this way? In our own knowledge and walking with the Lord. 
Paul knew the ultimate priority of evangelism is discipleship, teaching believers to obey all that Christ had commanded. In Colossians, he wrote this. He said, Him, being Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. There's a, a, a church mindset that the job of the church is just to get lost people into the door so that we can hear them preach the gospel, they can hear us preach the gospel, they make a decision, and that our job is done. Now, Paul, even in his mission work, he saw it fit that his, what he desired most is not only see people come in the door, that people would grow in maturity and knowledge. Why? What did he say in Ephesians? They won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So what was going to happen, listen to what was going to happen, is he's going to get there to these churches, and then we'll see in 16 that he's going to read the letter that the council decided in chapter 15. But guess what was going to happen? More false teachers were going to come. Paul actually warns, he, say, he tells them, hey, don't be surprised that when I'm gone, there's going to be false teachers that come in. Why does he desire for the churches to grow in maturity? So that whenever those, whenever those false teachers come in, they can discern error from truth. That they grow in maturity and they know who they are in Christ and what he has revealed in the scripture and they'll be able to be mature. Mature, spiritually strong local churches have far greater impact than any evangelistic crusade. So first thing that we see is that Paul, he was in Antioch. We don't know how long he was there. He said, hey, I, want to, I think God's calling us to reach new places, but before we go there, we need to make sure that the, the churches we've already established that they're doing well. That they're not just, we checked it off, but they actually went back to. Second thing we see in the text is that Paul and Barnabas separate. Look at verse 37. So they're ready to go. Everything's good. <clears throat> and the text doesn't indicate that uh, if Barnabas had already went to Mark and said, hey, I'm going to go talk to Paul, and we're going to have this trip going. Uh, it, it may be that Barnabas doesn't want to get Mark's hopes up, and so he's going to talk to Paul before he talks to Mark. We don't know the circumstances, but what we do know is that Barnabas wanted to take Mark with him. And it's rightfully so. Why? Because Barnabas was who? He was the encourager. If you messed up, Barnabas is who you want, right? Like if, you, if something happened and you dropped the ball, we want a Barnabas in our life to make sure we, we're there and he picks us up and he, he helps us out. But more than that, uh, Barnabas and Mark were kin. We don't know if he was his uncle or his cousin. Paul calls him his cousin at one time, but there's other places. We, anyway, there's a family between Barnabas and Mark. They're kin and some. Why? So you understand why Barnabas wanted to take Mark. Let's give him a second chance. Let's See if he can learn from his mistakes. We all make mistakes, right? And so Barnabas, I mean, yeah, Barnabas wants to take Mark, and he brings it to Paul. And Paul's like, no, nah, it ain't going to happen. I know he's your cousin and all. You forget that he deserted us in the past. See, here's the thing. We also need Pauls in our life as well. And we need Marks who go down to the ditches with us. We also need Pauls that go, hey, dude, you made a mistake. Uh, right? And so we see a lot of, we can see a lot of application of the text here. Uh, but Paul says, no, bro, he's not, he's not coming. Remember, he, he deserted us back here. 
Uh, and we don't know why he deserted, right? The scripture doesn't tell. Maybe he was scared of the Taurus Mountains because remember they crossed the Taurus Mountains. The Taurus Mountains are known for robbers and looters and many people didn't make it through. Uh, Paul was sick, we think, that maybe that's why he skipped some places, tried to get to higher ground. Maybe Mark didn't like because at first it was like Barnabas was the older, wiser guy. He was a Christian before and it was like Barnabas was a leader. Then all of a sudden it became like Paul's missionary journey. Maybe he didn't like that Paul was taking the, the reins from, from Barnabas a little bit, but he left. But anyway, Paul says, no, bro, it ain't happening. And every commentary that I read this week was like, who was right? Was Paul right or was Barnabas right? And the answer is yes. Uh, they both were because in, in one sense, you, you, you do want to be an encourager and lift people up. But at all the same time, you don't want to be, you know, bring people on who are going to drag down the mission. So anyway, they're both. But check out the word it uses here. It says, uh, that there arose a sharp disagreement. This wasn't just like agree to disagree. The word there in the Greek is a violent action or emotion. There's a chance that somebody punched somebody. I don't know. But it, but it, it, it got so heated that rather it was a, like a very vocal situation that like, no, like it, it was a bullying point that became violent in their thing. So it wasn't just like this little breakdown of a, of a friendship or a workship, if you will, workmanship together. It, it, was, it was a sense in which they both are very passionate about their stances, and it caused them, it caused it to blow up. I'm thankful that's there, by the way. Right? Anybody ever have blow-ups with somebody? Right? Like, that's one thing I love about Scripture. People ask me all the time, like, these hard questions, like Old Testament. Like, why are people this way? I'll go, because we're all that way, and I'm thankful that God, He reveals humanity in Scripture. He does it. I try to hide it. He, he shows us our depravity. He doesn't hide from the wickedness of man. And here, we're reminded that Paul and Barnabas, even though they were heroes of the faith, they were merely man. They had disagreements. A very strong disagreement that it blew up, if you will. They went separate ways, we see. So there arose a sharp disagreement. So they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. And I'm hoping that, I'm going to get to it, I'm going to get ahead of myself in a little bit, because I always do. But you have two guys that are planning to go one place. Now you have two guys who split up, and instead of having one missionary team, you have two. So even in our disagreements, even in tension, God can still work through even that for his own kingdom. Right, you see that, and so whether we thought there was going to be one missionary team, now there's two. And here's where did they where did they go? Barnabas's hometown, Cyprus. Where did the first place they went on the first missionary journey? Cyprus. And so what, ultimately, what we're seeing is that uh, Barnabas is going to go this way, and Paul's going to go up this way. Well, ultimately, they're covering all the tracks again because you know who doesn't go back to Cyprus? Paul, in the second missionary journey. Anyway, so it's, it's a beautiful seeing God's sovereignty even in their, dis, their, their, their disagreement. And so there was this harsh disagreement, and it says that, that uh, there was a sharp disagreement. They separated. Barnabas took Mark with him to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas. Maybe last week when you were reading the text, uh, if you go up to verse 33, you read verse 33, and then the next verse is 35. And like you look, look at your Bible if you have it. If you have ESV or NASB, maybe there's verse 33 and then there's verse 35. Verse 33 says uh, uh, that, that, that Judas and Silas, that the brothers in Antioch sent them back off. This is, has no spiritual significance. I just wanted to show you why there's not a verse 34. 
right? So we understand at the end of the text last week that, that, uh, that Judas and Silas went back to Jerusalem, right? But here in the text, it says that Paul chose Silas, right? So it's as if Silas was there. So in the earliest manuscripts, verse 34 is in there, we see that they both left, and then later on that Paul got Silas. Well, somebody eventually tried to add that, it actually says, if you have verse 34, it says this. It says, it seemed good for Silas to remain there. So there is, if you're wondering why there's not a verse 34 there, it's because at one point somebody added in to try to make sense how Paul was able to get Silas so quickly. The reality is he just said, hey, Silas, you want to come? And Paul, he came back up from Jerusalem or came back down from Jerusalem. Anyway, that's, I told you no spiritual significance at all. But that's why you may or may not have a verse 34 in your version of God's word. So there's a disagreement that happens. They separate ways. And I wrote this down. I'll come back to the end. So think about Barnabas for a moment. This is, this is really one of the last times that we see anything about Barnabas other than whenever Paul may address him in a letter to Timothy or something like that. Not trying to be like weird, or anything, but sometimes what we see is that Barnabas' season with, with Paul ended. But God wasn't done with Barnabas. Even though his time with Paul was done, his time for God wasn't. I think think it's important for somebody needs to hear that, like, maybe God has brought something in your life to an end. And it's not that you're not useful for God anymore. It's just that your time there is done, and God's got another place for you. Right? And so, even though his time with Paul was done, God still wanted to use him. And bring him back to Mark. Mark made a failure. Like he failed big time whenever he quit the trip. But God kind of impressed this on me. His failure wasn't fatal for him. Like even though at this moment, Paul says, he's not going with me. And if there's anybody that had the power to say, this dude's done, it would have been Paul. But Paul didn't say, this dude's done. He said, this dude's not going with me. Whenever Barnabas decided to go, I mean, when, when Mark decided to go with Barnabas, we don't see Paul saying, no, you can't take him with you. He's just not going with me. And here's the beautiful thing. As you, if you keep reading through the text, some, from, from this point forward, some 10 to 14 years later, we're going to see, first of all, we're going to see uh, Paul write a letter to Timothy uh, and their relationship, definitely in this moment. But other texts, like it's in, let's see, in Colossians chapter 4, this time come up on the screen, this Paul, who was so adamant about Mark not going with him, is going to call Mark his fellow worker. And more than that, in 2 Timothy, when he writes a letter to Timothy, this guy we're about to meet, he's in jail. In a verse after the verse I'm going to read, he tells Timothy to bring a cloak, ultimately because he's cold. And to bring some paper for him to write on, because he wants to write while he's in jail. But the verse prior to that, this is what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Luke alone is with me. So Luke's in jail with him. And te- look what he tells him to do. Get Mark and bring him to me, for he is very useful for me. <laughs> like, do you see that picture that just because there was this disruption and that Mark couldn't, that Paul couldn't trust Mark at this point, at some point when Paul is in the jail cell, the person he wanted more than anybody to come see him was Mark. <laughs> this same Mark wrote the gospel of Mark. 
And some people believe it was the very first gospel that was written. We do believe that Mark's account of the gospel is that he was sitting down with Peter and Peter was giving him his first-hand experience of the gospel. So God used this guy who dropped out on a mission trip because he was scared or mad or whatever to very pin the very words of Peter in the gospel so that you and I can read the gospels and know about Jesus' life. His failure wasn't fatal for him. He may not have been good to go with Paul, but God was still going to use Barnabas and God was still going to use Mark. And so I want to tell you today, maybe you've dropped the ball. <laughs> maybe you've messed up. Maybe you've made a mockery of your faith. Maybe you've quit. Maybe you've done something that you say, Justin, I have failed. I would say, yes, you did. You need a Paul that says, yes, you did fail. I'm going to tell you, yes, you did. But we also need a Barnabas that says, but you can get back up again. And if you continue to walk and be, listen, check this. He quit the first missionary trip. What did he do? He probably didn't really want to go on the second board. He kept being obedient to the opportunity that he had. And at some point, he's probably going to step off that missionary journey. He's going to sit down and go, you know what? I'm not a frontier guy. I'm going to sit down. I'm a writer. I'm going to sit down. And I'm going to write. But his failure wasn't fatal to him. The guy could still use him. And somebody, I think somebody needs to hear that this morning. Now, like I said, I was going to get ahead of myself, but because of their dispute, God had two groups of missionaries rather than one that God can use whatever to advance his kingdom, even our disagreements and our division. Thirdly, y'all may get out early today, but don't hold your breath. <clears throat> we see Paul and Barnabas separate. Barnabas and Mark go to Cyprus, and it says that Paul went and got Silas, and they went... And they had, they had blessings from the church of Antioch. They went to Syria and Cilicia. Ultimately, they went back to Paul's hometown. They went back to, around Taurus. And so they went there. And, or Tarsus, sorry. Taurus is a vehicle. Tarsus is a place. Uh, <clears throat> my brain's been in a fog all morning. So if I say anything else weird, then just don't judge me. But we go back to Tarsus. And they hang out there. They're encouraging the brothers, strengthening the churches. And then they, so they go to, we don't hear much about that time. We know that in between uh, Paul's first trip to Jerusalem and his second trip to Jerusalem, that he was back home preaching the gospel. And then Barnabas went and found him. And, you know, we said, no, that there was churches that were there, but they're not recorded in the first missionary journey. So anyway, they go back home and then they go to Derby and Lystra, which is where we ended, if we remember in chapter 14, that Paul and Barnabas went to Iconium and they went to, to Lystra. And that is where the, the people began to try to make them gods, right? They thought that they were Zeus and Hermes coming down. Uh, and so that's where they had been there before. They established a church there, but it's also the home of a guy named Timothy. Uh, and so anyway, so they go to Derby and Lystra and there we go. A disciple who was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. So here and now we're introduced to Timothy. Really what Luke is doing is he's really giving us the personnel for the second missionary journey in these verses and how we kind of got there. Paul, I mean, Timothy, we hear that he was a half Jew and half Greek. I was trying to figure out how old he was at this point uh, because it's about, like I said, 10 to 14 years from Acts 16 to whenever Paul writes the letter to Timothy. And what did he tell people? Don't let people despise you for your youth. Right? So in Jewish world, what does youth mean? And some people believe below the age of 40. 
Uh, some people are age of 30, maybe mid-30s, we don't know. But if you go that and you go, all right, well, take 14 years off that, Timothy's 16 to 20 years old at this time. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, uh, there's a guy named Timothy. He was half Jew, half Greek. Uh, it was one who that Paul, uh, we're not sure if he got saved, if Timothy got saved uh, when Paul first came to Derby and Lystra and preached the gospel, or probably more likely uh, he had a grandmother and mother who came to know Jesus, and from their teachings he came to know Jesus, and in essence he still became like a child of Paul in the faith, is what Paul will oftentimes refer to him as. We see it in 2 Timothy 1.5. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure that dwells in you as well. In 2 Timothy 2, 3, 14 to 15, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing that whom you have learned it, and from how from your childhood, childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wiser salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, man, I'm thankful for this text right here, uh, because I didn't grow up in a home necessarily that was ran by a man or a godly man, right? And so in this text, Timothy came to faith. His dad, there's a good chance he was dead the way that Paul, that Paul wrote, or that Luke writes this, but he was a Greek. He, became, he came to faith because his mom and his grandmother loved Jesus. Like, man, that's, that's a beautiful testimony of a godly mother and godly grandmother in this man's life. This man who, who Paul would eventually call him his beloved and faithful child, uh, like a son and a father, a true child in the faith, a beloved child, got his start not because he lived in a picture-perfect godly home, that, that, that there was a man who was living a godly life, but that God used a broken home that was split between a, a Greek dad and a faithful Christian mother and grandmother and won this dude to Jesus. Like, that's just a beautiful, beautiful picture of how God can work. So everything's good. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 2 that he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And it means that he was well spoken. He was smart. He was, um, he could orate, if you will. That he was well thought of, not just uh, from his family, but his conduct, the way he lived his life, he was well thought of. Like he was the perfect candidate for Paul. And I remind you of this, in Paul's missionary journeys, we know that Paul was the missionary to the who? Gentiles. But where did Paul always start in whatever country or city he was at? In a temple or, synagogue, or in a synagogue. So, and we understand that even though he loved and he was called to preach to, to the Gentiles, it was his deep sincere, broken heart that his brothers would believe in Jesus, that the Jews would believe in Jesus. That he, he said, I wish myself would be accursed if they would believe. So you have to understand this about, this about Paul. Even though he was ministered minister to the Gentiles, he still wanted his people to come to know Jesus. We have to remember that in our heads, okay? Because even though Timothy's the perfect candidate, there's an issue. Because Timothy's father wasn't a Jew, he didn't take Timothy to get him circumcised whenever he was a kid, whenever he was a baby. So Justin, I thought we answered circumcision in chapter 15. That was salvific circumcision. That was at, if you're, if, and ultimately what you see, and, I, and Luke, we were talking about this morning, in these chapters, why it's recorded is because, and there's more and more evident to me now, is that when the Jew became a Christian, he didn't stop becoming a Jew in his tradition in a lot of ways. Anything that, that would like take the place of the the lordship of Jesus and the holiness and the deity of Jesus uh, that, would, that would replace his atonement. Obviously, they stopped doing, but 
Jewish boys are still circumcised. There were still things that they, they still, they were still Jew. You with me? So Acts 15 didn't get rid of Jewish traditions for the Jew. It just can't oppose them on the Gentile. Everybody with me? This means yes. And so here's the issue here is that because of that, he was, Timothy was never circumcised. Yet, he was going to go with Paul. And who, where was the first place that Paul was going to go every time he went on a mission trip? He was going to go to the Jewish synagogue. Well, the people knew that he was half Jew. And I don't know how. I, this is how my mind works. How do they know he wasn't circumcised? Anyway, <laughs> is he going to go around and tell them, hey, I'm not circumcised? Uh, no, it's, listen to me. It's his matter of his conscience. Because he knew that even though he may not shout out to the fact that he has not been circumcised, he being a Holy Spirit man would live in a sense of, I feel guilty as in I'm presenting myself and not being truthful with these people. And so what do we do? Well, rabbinic teaching taught that a male child born to a Jewish woman was seen as Jewish. And so even though he had not been circumcised yet, for him to be a missionary to his own people, Paul needed to get rid of any kind of obstacle that there may be to reach those people. And so it says this, And he took him and circumcised him because the Jews were in those places, for all they, they all knew that his father was Greek. How would they know? Because they knew his dad was, and his dad wouldn't have got that taken care of. And immediately it could have been an obstacle for Timothy walking to the synagogue and preaching the gospel to the Jews. I'm going to step outside of my spiritual moment for a second. I would have told Paul no. <laughs> like, no, nah, I ain't doing it. Kidding, I'm being a little, that's joking a little bit. But just think about that for a moment. We never see Timothy fight. We never see Tim, because why? Because Timothy wanted to reach his fellow country, his fellow men as well. And so he does what Paul asks of him. Says they took him and he got him circumcised. So, Justin, why is that such a big deal? I want, to remind, I want to restate that this is not salvific, it's strategic. Because later on, there's going to be a guy named Titus who's fully Greek. Who the Judaizers are saying, he has to be circumcised. And Paul adamantly says, I will not because he's not a Jew. That's in Galatians chapter 2, I think. Galatians 1 and Galatians 2. That, so, this isn't something that he was now oppressing on everybody. It was for the sake of evangelism. And what we see here is what Paul will later write to the Corinthians, and it's going to come up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. It says, For I, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those who are under law, I became as one under law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I may win the weak. To, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul says, we become all things to all people for the sake of reaching them with the gospel. So the Jew, I became a Jew. To the outsider, I became an outsider. To the weak, I became weak. So that Christ can be preached without hindrance or obstacle. In your small group, I got a question on there. Are there limits to our all things to all people? And I hope you all talk about that a little bit. But we see the heart here. The reason why Timothy goes with this is so that there will not be a hindrance. Listen to me. We were talking about this in staff meeting a few weeks ago. Thinking about, like, God 
like Paul's purpose being put on this earth was so that he could do what God called him to do. And before he was ever here on this earth, God knew what family he was going to be born in, where he was going to be born at, the school that he was going to do, that he was going to have both Jew, he was going to be both Jew and a Roman citizen before, before he ever called out. And so what, what we see is that just Paul, who he was, that God had already equipped him, even before he was ever born, to do the very thing that God was calling him to do. And now he's doing the guy named Timothy as well. That they were going to go into lands that were going to be pagan, and guess what? They can minister to them. They were going to go to lands that were Jewish, and guess what? They're going to be able to minister to them. There was going to be nothing that could be an obstacle for them to serve. And I believe that God... And his sovereignty and his providence placed these two guys here at the same exact time so that he could uniquely use them to reach the unknown world to them. He's putting quite a team together. And that is Silas there. We met him. Can't forget about him. Uh, we see him often, man. We'll see something in the next chapter that's pretty remarkable. But here's a... So you've got... Now in the second missionary journey, you've got... Uh, Barnabas and Mark, you've got Paul and Timothy and Silas. And the reason why I think Silas is important for us to see because that is who the Jerusalem, like Silas was the leader among the brothers in the church in Jerusalem. Not only did the church in Jerusalem send a letter to the church in Antioch and say, you're my brothers, they also sent one of their most well-respected leaders to go on the missionary trips with Paul saying, not only are we telling you that you can, we're also going to go preach the gospel with you, which is a pretty cool thing to see. Anyway, clear as mud about why that happened. So as they went on their way through the cities, what did they do? They delivered them for observance the decisions that were made, that reached by apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Evidently, the Judaizers had left Lanyok and they had already went through these areas. And so Acts 15 is still applicable here. They go and they say, this is what we, the church in Jerusalem, this is what the mother church has, has decided. Don't let it bother you anymore. Check this out. I'm going to end here. So the churches were strengthened in the faith. Notice the order of events here. The first thing that happens is what? The church was strengthened in their faith. You see that? Like that's step one. They're being taught the word of God. They're being taught a gospel of grace. Taught the full counsel of what they had of, of obeying Christ and being living for his glory and his renown. And their, their faith is strengthened. A strong church, a strength, their feet, their uh, the strength, their faith to strengthen. What happens? And they increase in numbers daily. Paul goes and preaches the gospel, clarifies the gospel, and urges these churches and encourages these churches. What happens? The church doesn't just automatically start building buildings so people can. No, the church, their faith strengthened. And listen, I think I wrote a latest on some of the faith that is growing stronger also becomes louder and bolder. A faith that is truly growing in strength doesn't just lift my hands higher on Sunday mornings, but it's a faith that I share when I'm in workplace on Mondays. Their faith was strengthened. What faith in what? Faith that Jesus was the Messiah. Faith, listen to me, faith that he was alive and ascended and seated. And soon to return, a faith that he had sent the church to build the church, to preach the gospel, to live bold, faithful lives. 
A faith that what they are believing is the very truth of God. And when your faith begins to be strengthened, well, Justin, how can my... How can my faith be strengthened? I'm glad you asked. Scripture says the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's just not salvific faith. That's faith in general. The way that my faith continues to grow is that it's being taught the word of God. That it's sitting under the word of God. That I'm studying and taking in the word of God. If I want my faith, first of all, faith is a gift. It's not something that I can just, I want to have stronger faith. God has given us a means of grace that gives us faith, and it is his word and his spirit and his people. So if I, if I desire this faith, I can ask God, God, give me faith. But he does it by spending time in his word. How did these, how did these churches grow in their strength of their faith is that they were being taught the word. And as a result, their faith strengthened and the church grew in size. All right, so how does Acts 15, 16 here apply to me today, apply to us today? Obviously, we see it, but let's make it real. Christian maturity and obedience to Christ is the goal for the church. Our aim as pastors is not to satisfy all of your desires and make everybody happy. My job as your pastor and Luke and Ryan and Daniel and Paul as pastors of this church is Christian maturity and obedience to Christ. That we would grow in our knowledge of God, and as a result of that, we'll be obedient to all that he has commanded. Not just converts, but obedient followers of Jesus. Second thing that we can see in this text is that disagreements and personality conflicts should be expected in the church. Everybody with me? Like, it should be expected. Not, it's, not, it's not permitted, as in it doesn't give us a license just to disagree all the time. But we're a bunch of broken people, yet we're redeemed people. We're broken people. And so, listen to me. If you've had a disagreement with somebody you go to church with, newsflash. Paul and, Bar- Paul and Barnabas definitely had one, and we see it in the Scriptures. It's going to happen because we're people. And we have our own, our own tendencies, and we have our own desires, and we have our own insecurities, and we have our own agendas. And what happens when those agendas clash together is there's going to be disagreements. I did that so I could wake you up. I'm thankful that God shows us this agreement with Paul and Barnabas because it wasn't that God wasn't using them. It was that God was doing something through them, and the enemy was trying to do anything he could to disrupt it. And so, therefore, if you and I always just agree eye to eye and everything is good, there's a good chance that God's not at work because when the God's at work, the enemy's at work too, and there's going to be distractions, there's going to be confusions, there's going to be distractions and, and arguments. You with me? When I, got, when I went to First Baptist Ellsville to become a youth pastor, I had one no vote, and I was like, I want 100%. Right? I didn't say that, but I had one no vote, and a wise man came to me and said this. You never want 100% vote. I said, yeah, dude. He said, no. Because if you don't have people opposing you, then it's probably because God's not wanting you there. Because any time that God is using you, so will the enemy be at work as well. And so I'm saying this, is that, man, we're broken people, and there's going to be disagreements and distractions but that doesn't have to, listen to me, that doesn't have to render us useless for the kingdom of God. People will disappoint you. I want to confess to you, I will disappoint you. Luke will disappoint you. Ryan will disappoint you. Because we are broken people. 
We see from the text that sometimes God moves you from where you are because he has plans for you somewhere else. When a job comes to an end, it's not final for you. It's God's moving you. Maybe there's another place for you better serves you and your gifting and your talents. That can be in the church world. That can be in your world where you work. We see from this text is, and what we brought from it is that your failure doesn't have to be fatal. Maybe you've messed up, but it hasn't rendered you unuseful. I'm thankful that God makes it his business to use people who don't have it all figured out. That it's in my weakness that his power is perfected. Like, I texted Luke this morning. I was like, man, my, my brain's just foggy. Like, some mornings, like, I come in here and they was clicking. Sometimes it's like, I don't know. I, like, I rearranged my notes like five times to this morning. That never happens. I want to do this here. I want to do that there. And I was just, and Luke said, but do you perfect candidate for God use? He said, because it's in your weakness that his power is going to be made known. And so I want to remind you that it's in your brokenness that you, first of all, recognize, yes, that is a failure. That you repent of that failure, but you move forward in obedience with Christ. And you're not rendered useless. The last application, it's just a question, is how serious are you, are we, about reaching people for Jesus? Because <laughs> you cannot read that text and go, they're very serious about reaching people for Jesus. High cost. How serious are we about reaching people for Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that, uh, that you don't hide humanity and our, follow, our, our fallenness and brokenness. God, we thank you that those are there. God, that we can understand that um, you're bigger than our disagreements. God, you're bigger than our uh, situations. God, that you're your gospel going forth will, no matter what. God, I pray that if there is division within our body, God, that you would use your scripture today, but also your Holy Spirit would move us to seek reconciliation. God, we pray that if the enemy is whispering words of of guilt and God that they have someone because of their failure has been disqualified from being used of you and by you God I pray that your spirit would convict them of that sin yes but God that remind them that we've been given a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out Abba Father and the way that we respond in our failures, God, should be one that we're running to you, not from you. God, you are one who receives your own. So God, if there's anyone here today has thought that their failure has rendered them useless, God, I pray that they were reminded today, God, that you can use anyone 
and you desire to use even the broken. God, that maybe even their, their failure can be what you use to help them help others who are struggling with the same things. That their issues they may have may be the very ministry in which you're calling them to do. God, I pray that through this text this morning, God, that we will grow in seriousness about sharing your good news. That we'll commit to your people. God, that we will ask that you strengthen our faith. And God, that you would use us to reach our neighbors, our family, and those around. God, we don't want to be a church that just meets on Sundays and soaks in the word and sings songs. But God, we want to be a church that from that you use us to reach those who don't know you. So God, we ask that you would increase our faith to be bold, faithful witnesses of yours. So in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you need to talk, I'll be standing in the back. Uh, if not, you can just respond how the Lord leads. You can stand. <clears throat>